Uh, take your Bibles and turn in them to the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. And I know last Sunday I said I was going to be dealing with Psalm 22 this week, but I decided to shift gears a little bit uh, because the subject matter of this parable closely parallels and reinforces the subject matter that we looked at last week. Remember last week we looked at the, the vine, the vine dresser, and the three different types of branches. You remember that the, uh, the first type of branch was the mature branch that was consistently producing fruit. The second type of branch was the weak, sickly, or immature uh, branch that needed to be lifted up and secured to one of the more uh, strong branches in order to, uh, to begin to regain health and then eventually regain enough strength to stand on its own. And finally, the third type was the, the branch that was mature but was consistently not producing fruit. So I, I want to reinforce that teaching this week by taking a look at uh, a very familiar parable in the scriptures, the parable of the sower. Now, as I have said before, and I say again, when it comes to studying the scriptures, most especially when it comes to studying the parables, context is king. Context is everything. So now this, paral this parable has three parallel readings in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're looking at the Luke one today because it's the one that is the shortest. But most of the surrounding context that really illuminates what, what, uh, what Jesus is, it, the point that he's trying to get across, comes from the Gospel of Matthew. So just some context here. Now, Jesus is engaged in a in a, uh, a, a conflict with the religious leaders. And it's important for us to understand that the religious leaders actually stand as representatives of the nations. So the things that the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, accuse Jesus of that triggers the whole movement from speaking plainly to speaking in parables is that they accuse Jesus of working his miracles by the power of Satan when he was working them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we read in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, there's the culmination of this. Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And Jesus responds to that in verses 31 and 32, where he says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven them. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. And so from this point on, you see it very clearly, beginning in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus now shifts and he begins to speak in parables. And uh, the reason for that, I'll get to later. So uh, the judgment of that generation now, when they accused Jesus of working his miracles by the power of the devil, they were speaking as, they were standing as representatives of the nation and so the messianic kingdom which Jesus came offering and preaching was rescinded temporarily for a time. 
and that and the whole nation fell under the judgment of God. That judgment was sealed. So uh, it's important that we when we come to the parable of the sower that we understand that this parable is intended for a very specific audience. There is a specific point that Christ is cautioning his disciples and us by extension as we take up the message that he's called each and every one of us to. And so if you are, if you are a, a believer, if you are a disciple of Christ, then God has called you to a mission. There's something that God has given you to do. He hasn't given you spiritual life so you can just sit in the pews occasionally or, you know, use the Christian lingo. God has a, a specific message, uh, mission for you, and so it's important that, that we get the, the emphasis that Jesus is driving at in this parable. So just some basic rules. So when you come to the interpretation of parables, there are some basic rules that we have to follow. First one is we have to understand, uh, we have, have to understand and interpret the parable within the context in which, we, in which it was given. So now as we look at the context here, as we look at the society, it was essentially an agrarian society. They were farmers and they farmed manually. They didn't have John Deere's, they didn't have combines. Everything that they did, they had to do by hand. And so it's important to keep this in mind as we go through this parable. The other thing to keep in mind is that generally parables only emphasize one central truth. And so you can get so in you can get so wrapped up in the minutia of the, of the parable that you actually don't know which way is up anymore. But parables are meant to emphasize one certain truth. Now when it comes to the parable of the sower, the most commonly held one central truth that supposedly this parable is teaching, that as you go out and share the gospel with people, you will encounter four different types of responses. While that's certainly true, it's not the central theme of this parable. Jesus wasn't saying to them, hey, to his disciples, hey, and by extension to us, hey, as you go out and you fulfill God's mission for your life to share the gospel, these are the four types of responses that you, you are going to encounter. While that is certainly true, it's not the point of emphasis of the parable. The point of emphasis of the parable is that Jesus was trying to drive home something to them and us, both internally and externally, that we need to be careful for, careful about, as we follow God's mission for our lives. Okay, so now, uh, now I'm going to read uh, Luke's chapter 8, verse 4 and following, and then uh, we'll start looking at it. So Luke chapter 8, verse 4, we read, and when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it out. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now for now, I'm going to skip over verses 9 and 10. I'll get back to that later. So let's drop down to verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, 
Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And so we're, we're going to work through this methodically, and uh, we're, we're going to start by noticing that there are four it's the same soil, but in four conditions, okay? And so I'll call them condition one, condition two, condition three, condition four. So the condition one soil is the soil by the wayside. Now, as you're, as you're farming in an agrarian society, there are furrows where you throw the seed, but there are also places where you walk. Now, it's important to understand, as I said, that they were manual farmers, and so at any given time, you know, the expected harvest would be somewhere between 20 and 30 percent of the seed that you sowed would actually, would actually germinate and come to maturity. So the point was to throw as much seed as you could, right? And so as they're throwing the seed, some is obviously, it's falling down and falling on the path that they actually walk on, so where the ground is hard. The condition two soil is good soil, but there's a lot of rocks mixed in with it. If you plant a garden, you know that the first thing you have to do in a new garden is you gotta go through it and you gotta try and get as many rocks out of it as you can, or it just ends up being an exercise in futility. So that's the second kind of soil. The third kind of soil was good soil, but it was also mixed with thorns. So there were thorn bushes or thorn seeds or thorn seedlings there. And finally, the uh, condition four soil was good ground and there was, there was nothing to keep uh, the seed from coming up and bearing a lot of fruit. So there were some things in common among the, among the four types of soils. The first one is that the farmer and the seed were the same across all four, same sower, same seed. What was different about the two is the, the, the makeup of the soil and the ultimate outcome of the crop. So the farmer had an unlimited supply of seed, and the only control he had was where he threw the seed. He didn't have any control as to how it would grow or when it would grow or, or uh, in what way it would grow. And as I said before, only a percentage will produce fruit. So he throws as much as he can. Okay, so let's see how much you've remembered so far. What is the seed in this parable? The Word of God is the seed, okay? It's important to keep that in mind because as we work through the parable, we, we tend to think of fruit. When we think of fruit, we think of the fruit of the Spirit that's being talked about in other places in the New Testament. This, is, this fruit has to be specific to the context of the parable. All right. So the seed is the Word of God now. There's a, there's a, where do you draw the dividing line when you look at this parable? And when you look at commentaries, you'll see they are all over the place, right? So when you look at the four conditions of the soil, they obviously represent four different hearts and, and responses to the gospel. Which ones are believers and which ones are unbelievers, right? 
Well, right now, it's pretty clear that soil condition of soil number one is an unbeliever, while condition four is a believer. The confusion arises in, in condition two and condition, condition three. There are three possibilities. So the first possibility is condition one is an unbeliever, conditions two, three, and four are believers. The second possibility is conditions one and two are unbelievers, conditions three and four are believers. Or the third possibility is condition one is an unbeliever and conditions two, three, and four are believers. So when you look at commentaries, you'll see the, the commentaries are all over the place on this. So let's, so let's drill down now and look at this. So let's look at condition one. Luke 8, 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So now the parallel reading in Matthew gives us a little more information, and it says this in Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown, as his sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. So in soil condition number one, the seed, which is the word of God, it never takes root, it never grows, and it never reproduces. And it says in the Matthew passage that the, the, the seed that is sowed in his heart, in this individual's heart, they don't understand it, and it never takes root. They don't believe, and they are not saved. So there's no spiritual life in condition number one. But, or we would say that they were an unbeliever. But what does that look like in real life? What, what does an unbeliever look like in real life? You give me some examples of, I'm sure you've encountered unbelievers in your life, and I'm sure you've encountered people that you've shared the gospel with, that, that they've had no response to it, or a mocking response to it, right? And, and that's what you find. This is the person that has no spiritual life within them because spiritual life was not granted to them by the Holy Spirit. Here's a question for you. What defines a true disciple of Jesus Christ? What is it that makes a person a child of God? Doesn't it say in the Holy, doesn't it say in the New Testament that, that if a person does not have my spirit within him, he is not my child, not my son, right? So, so that's the difference. This, 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 this person or this soil condition has not been made alive by the Holy Spirit of God. Consequentially, they don't understand and it, uh, the, it never takes root. The Word of God never takes root in their hearts or in their spirits. So, so you'll encounter them, and they'll be all across the ranges. Some of them will be, they'll be polite, but you know, it just, it never, it never cuts through. It never gets through that outer crust. Or all the way to mocking and ridicule, and that's when you have to, you know, you have to start thinking about when it's time to stop sharing the Word with them, because there's also something in the scriptures that said that we are not to cast our pearls before swine. And so you stop, maybe not permanently, but you stop for a while, and then you come back to them later. So there's no response at all. There's, 
It doesn't take root, it doesn't sink in, it doesn't go anywhere. It just becomes, after a while, an exercise in futility unless the Spirit of God is working. Okay, so that's soil condition one. Soil condition two, we read about in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The parallel reading in the Gospel of Mark says this, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness. And uh, we read in Mark 4.17, and they have no root in themselves and so only endure, endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So as you, this is something that only comes out in, in the Greek text. You see where it says, when they hear the word, they hear it, but they don't understand what it's saying. They don't understand its implication. It never pierces through to them. Why? Because this second group, is a group that also, like group one, has not been given spiritual life by the Holy Spirit, not been appointed to life. So they hear the word, they audibly hear it, but they don't understand what it's saying to them and their implications. You know, I was brought to saving faith later on in life. I was 30 years old, and I can tell you, I grew up within the Catholic Church, and I, there was always a Bible, and I read the Bible, at first frequently and then rather infrequently because I didn't understand what I was reading. It's one thing to, to be able to, well, I know what that word means, but, but what, what are the implications of what was being said? And I remember clearly when that line of demarcation came, and it came in one day, where the day before I, I just didn't understand what I was reading, and the next day it was like, why didn't I see this before? It's plain as the nose on my face. That's because that's the point that the Holy Spirit had determined to impart spiritual life to me. So condition two, there are those who hear the word, but they don't understand it, and it never sinks through to them. And there is, a, there is an external reaction of joy to it, uh, but then when things get tough, they just walk away. How many of you have encountered people like that? Right? They, you share the gospel with them or they come under the hearing of the gospel and everything seems to be going good, but then uh, as promised, right, uh, Jesus says in the gospel of John, uh, in the world you will have tribulation, right? Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so has anyone, is there, is there anyone here who is, a, who is a believer, I'm going to assume you all are, that you've not experienced tribulation in this life and that you've not experienced tribulation as it pertains to your faith or during the time of that testing, during the time of that difficulty in your life, did you ever think about jettisoning your faith altogether because it's just not working? Well, of course not. We, we all come to, I believe, we all come to that, those points in our lives where, where, where we feel almost hopeless, where we're, we're, where's God in all of this? And you know, and I, I, I found myself in this place 
many times and and I'm like, man, am I really a believer? You know, if I'm questioning God and then I go and read in Psalms where Dave, David, during the difficult times of his life, actually said the same thing and so didn't Job, right? And so, but, but the person that's being talked about here in soil condition two is the person who comes to that point and say, you know what, I'm done with this. And they walk away. Okay, so in Matthew chapter, we, and we have a great illustration of this in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, you know, we read about the, the two houses that were built. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, we read, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, you see, that's the difference between hearing and hearing and understanding, right? One hears, but does not understand, therefore does not do. The other one hears and understand, and because they understand, they do, right? I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, when you're looking at these two houses, they're identical houses. They look the same. That's important to bear in mind here. They look the same until the storms of life come. Right? One collapses, the other doesn't. So condition two is an unbeliever as well, but who at times can look like a believer. Okay? All right, now I'm going to skip to condition four because actually condition three is the point of the parable. So in Luke chapter eight, verse 15, we read, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and good heart, keeps it and bear fruit with patience. Now the, the construction here in the Greek says that the word hears there means that they hear and understand and put it into practice, right? So obviously, these are this group here are their believers, right? It says they have a noble and good heart. And what is the fruit that they bear? So here is where it's important that we keep in mind the context of the parable. What is the fruit that they bear? Well, they receive the word. It ha it's effectual. It brings about change in their life. But then it goes out from them. And as it goes out, it expands, right? So, so one person shared the word with me. It comes into me. It takes root. It produces fruit. And then I share the word with however many I share it with over the course of my, uh, over the course of my life, right? And so that's what the fruit here is. You have to keep that in mind, that the fruit that is being talked about here is the expansion and the progression of the word of God out into the world out into your surroundings, out into the people that you encounter in your life. The word of God gets in their heart, germinates, grows, and spreads out from them to others. Well, what does this person look like? Well, we've just described it. This person is definitely a believer. Okay, now we come to the point, the main emphasis of the parable, and that is soil condition three. 
In verse 14 of Luke chapter 8, we read, Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Now, this group here, they start hearing and they continue hearing, but at the same time, what they hear is confused and watered down and compromised because they're also at the same time pursuing and listening to the things of the world, the pleasures of life, the deceitfulness of riches. So in a real sense, they are, they are being stunted, they are being watered down, they are, they are not giving as much attention or energy to producing the fruit, which is the word of God, that they could produce. The parallel reading in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22 reads, Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Mark says this, And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So now, here's my question to you. If you were to venture a guess, condition three, believer or unbeliever? What do you think? <coughs> Excuse me. Conditions one and two, clearly there was no life there, right? Condition two, the plant started to grow but withered and died. Condition one, never took hold. Condition three is actually a believer. And that's the main point of the parable. And that's what Jesus is cautioning his disciples and us against as we go out to accomplish the mission that God has for us, right? These are believers. The soil is good, but there are thorns mixed in the soil and they eventually choke or stunt the growth of the plant so that it does not produce the fruit that it, that it should produce. But this has got nothing to do with salvation. You are saved by grace, but it has everything to do with fulfilling the mission that God has given to you, the mission that God has given to me, and that we will all have to give an account for before the judgment seat of Christ. And at that time, we will be judged on the basis of our service to him, of our stewardship of the things we gave, he gave to, entrusted to us, and then we will either receive rewards or lose rewards. This, this group here, group three, they, they have life, but they have been so, so distracted by the things of the world that it actually stunts their growth because they don't give the time to cultivating the seed, which is the word of God in their lives. What does this person look like? This person is a believer who at times looks like an unbeliever. Condition three is the main emphasis of this parable. And it's a special message that only believers were intended to hear. Here is where we go back to Luke chapter 8 and read verses 10 and 11, uh, 9 and 10. Then his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? And he said, to you it has been given 
to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that, seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. You see that? Conditions 1 and 2 can hear, but they can't understand. But to those who are gods, to those whom he has decided to grant eternal life, he not only gives them the ability to hear, but he also gives them the ability to understand. And what Jesus is cautioning his disciples here, and us by extension, is that we have spiritual life, and that God has given us a mission, and we are to be singular in our pursuit of the mission that God has given us. And that is to reproduce the seed, which is the word of God. Pastor Roman has been talking about, you know, daily Bible readings, being consistent with that. You know, and not just reading, you know, your, your ten devotional verses of the day, but actually digging down deep into God's word to mine out all of these, all of these truths and nuggets that are there. The seed would take root in them and produce fruit by its expansion through their ministry. But they were to be careful to both expect the distractions and avoid them. Rest assured, you have an adversary. Actually, you have three adversaries, right? You have the devil, you have the world, which is under the control of Satan, and you have your flesh. And those three are going to conspire against you to distract you from your mission. The cares of this world. Can anyone give me an example of something that is a care of this world? What's that? Facebook. Okay, Facebook is definitely a distraction, right? So I was thinking along the lines of, you know, where Jesus said, um, you know, don't worry about this, that, and the other thing. Good, Facebook. Something else that is a care. That is very distracting. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to say it straight out, and I know Pastor Roman has said it too. I have seen posts on there by, by believers that really you couldn't tell the difference whether from a believer or an unbeliever. So Facebook, something else. Doug? Health concerns. I can tell you that personally. That's been a big distraction for me. Something else, the care of this world. Lisa? Finances, right? I mean, we all need health, right? We all need finances. We don't all need Facebook, right? And so we see those things, how they can be distracting. How about the deceitfulness of riches? Isn't it interesting that that term is used, that term deceitfulness is specifically used here? Why are riches deceitful? Doug? Yeah, yeah, and, and Job, is the, Job is the example of that, right? Right? So there's the deceitfulness of riches. You know, if you have a lot of money, you're making good money, you're all set. But you know what? That can all go away in an instant, in a day. It can go away. It's not the way to secure your future. What did Jesus say? Store up treasure in heaven, right? That's what he said, store up treasure in heaven. So the deceitfulness of riches... The desire for other things, right? I mean, that could be just about anything. A vacation home, it could be, you know, a new sports car, it could be whatever. Now, the point of this parable is that Jesus is 
is warning his disciples that you have an adversary and he's going to come against you in this way. These are the ways that he's going to come against you. And he could so overwhelm you that even though you are a believer, even though you are a child of mine, there's absolutely no discernible difference between you and someone who's not a believer. There are a lot of believers walking around like that, most especially today. So the reality is, is which one of us would no, look, not look at this, at this four and say, yeah, I'm definitely a condition four seed. But are we? Really? You know, you read that, oh yeah, I'm definitely a condition four because I'm producing fruit. But am I? What is the fruit that is being spoken about here? the expansion of the word of God through your life. Which pre there's something that presupposes you being able through your life and through your words and through your testimony to actually be effectual in the expansion of the word of God in your life. There's something that underlies and presupposes that. What is it? You actually have to know what it is and what it says. And so, you know, pastor's been talking about discipleship groups and small groups, and, you know, I've had several people approach me about wanting to start a Bible study, and, and you know, and, and, you know, we've had some conversations about it, and here's the thing. I'm not opposed to doing Bible studies, but I don't want them to just be theoretical exercises in theology. I'll do it. I'll make the commitment, but there has to be, an, there has to be a corresponding commitment on the person or the people who are going to participate, that they're going to take what they're hearing, they're going to make sure they understand it, and the proof that they understand it is they actually put it into practice in some place in their life. They put it into practice within the context of the local church. That's the point of this parable. So are we really conditioned for soils? Or if we were to be honest with ourselves, we really struggle and we really are condition three soils. You see? So this word comes to us from a loving father who sees that there are branches on the vine who are weak. They're sickly because they've been distracted by the things of the world. So does he cut them off, cast them out, throw them in the fire? No, he lifts them up and he secures them, right? And so we have to be watching for this. You have a mission in life. Throughout the years, you know, I was senior pastor here for, I don't know, 21, 22 years. I get old, my memory starts to slip. But if I said it, if I asked this question once, I asked it a thousand times. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? If you are a child of God, God has given you at least one spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift is for the benefit of the body of Christ, which is the church. Do you know what it is? If you don't, why not? And if you don't yet, then you are in that position of condition three or that weak or sickly branch on the vine. And God 
potentially has brought you here so that you can rectify that. So we are believers, but are we so distracted by the things of this life that we're not spending enough time cultivating the seed of God's word and bringing it to mature expression in our lives and passing it on? 